we're continuing our series uh, about home away from home, and, and, um, and today we're going to talk about uh, the, the life of Joseph, and we're going to talk about when home is taken away, and, uh, and, and we're going to get into how that happened for Joseph, but you know, in, in, uh, in, in 2005, August 29th, 2005, so almost five years ago, Hurricane Katrina, it hit the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and Louisiana. And, uh, and I'm sure you remember all of that. And, and there was, a, you know, it was, of course, on the news for almost a month all the time because of what happened in New Orleans. But when Hurricane Katrina came in, there were 275,000 um, 275, homes destroyed. And so you had over a quarter of a million homes were destroyed by Hurricane Katrina. Most of those were in New Orleans where the flooding just made the homes uninhabitable. The homes were still there, but you couldn't live in them. Some places were like Gulfport, Mississippi, where not only were the homes uninhabitable, but they were no longer there because it just came through and the storm surge totally washed it away and literally everything was just hauled out to sea. And you had folks that had had their, all their life's possessions, all this kind of stuff, literally just washed away, and they had lost their homes. Now, chances are, you're probably going to go through your entire life and never experience that. Most people, you know, the, the majority of folks don't experience losing a home. Maybe you have, maybe you've lost one through a fire or through some other natural disaster. But most of us will not literally lose our home. But we all will go through times in our lives where things seem to be sailing along, moving along pretty smoothly, life seems to be pretty good, and then something comes along through no fault of your own. Something comes along that's totally unexpected, and it kind of knocks, knocks the legs out from under you, knocks the wind out of your sails, and what you thought you had this good life, that everything seemed smooth, all of a sudden now, everything is different. Perhaps you've experienced some of this. Maybe, maybe uh, back in the last uh, recession when things got bad in the economy, maybe you got downsized and you had this good job and then all of a sudden one day you find out, I don't have a job anymore and you didn't really have that much severance you found out. Or maybe you've been going through all along and you thought your, your marriage was pretty good and then you find out that, that she doesn't think it's as good as you do or he doesn't think it's as good as you do and the next thing you know you find yourself in divorce court and you never saw that coming. Or, or perhaps you went to school for four years and you thought, I'm, this is what I'm going to be, and you worked hard, you made good grades, your parents paid for you to go to school, and you graduate, and nobody's hiring for the, job, for the, for the degree that you got a job in. And things aren't looking good for the next hiring uh, time that they're going to be doing for that job either. And all of a sudden, all this stuff that you thought was going so smooth in your life, you feel like you've had your home taken away. Well, I want us to, to look at the life of a guy named Joseph. In the, in the Old Testament. And if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 37. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis 37. I'm going to read some scripture from there in just a little bit. But before I do, let me give you just a little bit of background about Joseph. Now, first of all, this is not the, the father of Jesus, Joseph. Okay? You need to know that. When I was a kid growing up, they tell these stories about Joseph in the Old Testament, and I assumed Joseph, and then, oh yeah, Jesus' daddy was named Joseph. I assumed it was the same guy. This guy lived a couple of thousand years before Jesus' daddy ever hit the earth. So this is a different Joseph, all right? Uh, but this Joseph is the son of Jacob and Rachel. Now, if you were here last week, you remember we talked about Jacob and Rachel. 
You remember Jacob was uh, the one that he had to work for 14 years to get Rachel to be his wife. And if you missed that last week, you go online and listen to that message and you can find out all that background about Jacob and Rachel. But Joseph is Jacob and Rachel's son. Now Joseph is one of 12 boys, that, so he's got 11 brothers, right? Now he's number 11 out of 12, so he's got 10 older brothers. Now his 10 older brothers don't like Joseph. In fact, you could say that they hate Joseph. And, uh, and things, they, they just did not have a good relationship. And look at Genesis 37, 2 through 4. And, and we'll read a little bit about why they don't like Joseph very much. Genesis 37, 2 starts like this. This is the account of Jacob. All right, let me stop right there before we go any further. I think it's, and this is just side note, not really a lot to do with today's message. But I think it's interesting that it starts off in Genesis 37, 2. It says, this is the account of Jacob, and then the rest of the story pretty much is about Joseph. For the next several chapters, it's about Joseph. And I think that, that there's just a little bit of a message there that, that we need to remember as parents, dads, that we need to remember, that we have such an influence on what happens to our kids that our kid's story a lot of times is our story, and if we set our kids up for success, certain things will happen, or we can set up our kids for failure, and other things will happen. And you're going to see here in just a second how Jacob really set up his, his son Joseph for failure, especially in relationship to, to how he related to his brothers. So look at this, Joseph, uh, Genesis 37, 2. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Now remember, Jacob has two wives, right? He's got Leah and Rachel. Well, also, I don't know if you remember last week when we talked about the Scripture, it would say in there that when he married Leah, it said, oh, and he also got her maidservant, Zilpah, and, and then when he married Rachel, he also got her maidservant as well. Well, back in those days, if your wife had a servant, you got to get it up with her too, you know, and, and have babies, right? So, so that's what happened. So Jacob's got babies from four different women. You talk about a... a, a a recipe for dysfunction, that's it right there, okay? So he's got, baby, got, so he's got these brothers all with different mamas, right? So here we go. So he's got the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's Jacob, God changed his name to Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So you see what Jacob's done to Joseph here. He's really set him up for failure when it comes to his relationship with his brothers. First of all, Joseph didn't do real good with his relationship with his brothers because it says there in verse 2 that it says he brought his father a bad report about them, so he's a tattletale. And you older brothers and sisters know nobody likes the younger tattletale, right? You want to beat them up and all that kind of stuff. So his ten older brothers are like, man, we hate this guy because every time we're wanting to do something that's a little fun, he goes back and tells his daddy about it, and then we all get in trouble, and, and, and they don't like that. Well, then the other thing, though, verse 3, that I think is so obvious that where Jacob really sets up Joseph for failure with his brothers is it says that he loved Joseph more than any of the others. And it, you know how dangerous it is to have a, a kid that's your favorite. So parents, even if you got one kid that you like more than the others for a while, don't let the other ones know it, all right? 
Don't give him, don't give him a coat of many colors. You know, it says right there, his richly ornamented robe he gave him. When I was in Sunday school, we learned about the coat of many colors, and we thought, I thought that was a great thing. Wow, Joseph had a coat of many colors. There was even songs we sang in Sunday school about it. The coat of many colors was a terrible thing because Jacob gives it to his son in front of all his other brothers. If y'all, if y'all were as great as Joseph, I'd give you one of these and hands it to him. And so now his brothers, it says that they hated him as a result of that. Well, to make matters worse, and we're not going to read these verses, to make matters worse, Joseph starts having dreams. And he has dreams where all his brothers are bowing down to him in his dream. So he has these, and, and, and so he has these dreams where, where he's like going to one day rule over his brothers. Now, the dreams aren't Joseph's fault. God, you can't control what you dream. God actually gave him those dreams, we know, so that it was, it was foretelling what was going to happen in the future because one day Joseph would rule over his brothers. But it's not Joseph's fault that he had the dreams. But what Joseph did that wasn't too smart is he goes and he tells them to his brothers, hey, I had a dream that all you were bowing down to me, nah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And, of course, that makes them even angrier about it, and, and, and they really were ticked off at him. So look at what happens next. It says that, that, that Jacob sent Joseph to, to check on his brothers again. They're out tending the flocks. Joseph isn't. Jacob says, hey, go check on how things are going with your brothers. And look at Genesis 37, 17 through 20. I'm going to start with the last half of Genesis 37, 17. It says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now, you talk about some serious brotherly hatred right now. Some of you got brothers and y'all used to fight, but I don't think any of you probably plotted to kill your brother. If you did, let's talk after the service. You need counseling, all right? But they plotted to kill Joseph. Then verse 19, it says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, what happens next is one of the older brothers is a guy named Reuben. Great at making sandwiches is what he was known for. <laughs> totally kidding about that. But the older brother Reuben comes to the brothers and talks them out of it. Says, listen, don't kill him, all right? Don't kill him. Instead, let's just beat him up a little bit and let's do throw him down one of these cisterns. A cistern is like an empty well. Let's throw him down this empty well. And then Reuben's plan was he was going to come back later and pull Joseph out and, and rescue him and probably have an older brother talk with him, something along the lines of, hey, quit talking about your dreams and chill out on the robe and all that kind of stuff. That was Reuben's plan. But what happened instead, look what, what happened. These slave traders arrive. And when the slave traders show up, look what happens in verse 26 of Genesis 37. It says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So Judah was all for killing him when you couldn't get any money for it. But now we can get some money for it. Hey, he is our brother. Let's don't kill him. Let's make a little, you know, make some cash off of Joseph. So they had decided they're going to sell him into slavery. And that's exactly what they do. They pull him out of the well. They sell him to these slave traders. And they get not a whole lot of money for him. And then Joseph is gone. And then it says in verse 37, 36, Genesis 37, 36 says this. Meanwhile, the Midianites, that's who bought Joseph, they sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So get this. Joseph's 17 years old. He's a spoiled brat kid living at home. He's got his special robe. 
thinks that life is great. And one day his dad sends him out to check on his brothers, which was not an uncommon thing for him. And suddenly everything about his life is different. He literally has his home taken away. 17-year-old spoiled brat, he's taken from everything he's ever known and he's put in a, sold as a slave, first of all, put in a foreign country where he doesn't know anybody, probably doesn't even know the language, and everything has changed for him. Now that is a bad deal. It was unexpected, he didn't see it coming, and it was undeserved. Sure, he was a tattletale. Sure, he bragged about his dreams. Sure, he had a robe that, that, that the other ones didn't have. But none of that stuff is deserving of being beaten up and sold into slavery. So he's had this stuff happen to him totally out of his control. And, and he didn't see it coming, and, 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 and he didn't deserve it to happen to him. But look, check out what happens to Joseph, though. He gets to Egypt, and it said there in verse, 20, uh, in verse 36 that a guy named Potiphar bought him. And he was the captain of the guard for all of Egypt. And what we know is, is that when, G, when Joseph went to work there for Potiphar, that it was a pretty sweet gig. It, everything was nice. It was this huge mansion that Joseph worked hard. He did a good job that God was blessing Joseph through this whole thing. And so that everything that he was in charge of in Potiphar's house, things really started to, to kind of build up and go well. So Potiphar noticed this and he says, hey, why don't you be in charge of everything I've got? So he goes from being a slave, he's still a slave, but now he's in charge of this great household and things are really, really good. So he's got a good situation. Look at Genesis 39, 4 and 5, what it sounds, says about that. It says, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Joseph had bounced back. In fact, he had come back stronger than ever before. And now, after having his first home taken away, he's got a new home. He's really establishing a new home here. He's, he's comfortable at this place. He's got a place to, to sleep at night. He doesn't have to worry about food. He, he's, he's a man of influence now. So he's really got a pretty good situation. So he had one home taken away, and now God's blessed him with another home. So look at what happens next. Genesis 39, 6 and 7. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now here's where things start to turn and get a little interesting. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, ladies, all right? You remember what, what they said, what the Scripture said last week about Joseph's mom, Rachel? Said she was lovely in form. Joseph evidently takes after his mama, all right? Well-built and handsome. Probably ripped, got some awesome abs, you know? Got guns, and, and he's just the kind of guy the ladies like to look at. And so look what it says at verse 7. So the ladies like to look at him, and that turns out not to be a good thing. After a while... His master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. This is not a good situation for Joseph, right? He's a slave. So technically as a slave, really, he's supposed to do what she tells him. And, and, and so it's, it's not a good deal. But Joseph, he refuses. He refuses to do that. He, he knows that it's wrong. He refuses to do it. And the scripture says that she continues to ask him. It wasn't a one-time thing. So she keeps it up and she keeps asking him and he keeps refusing. Till one day he walks in the house, there's no one else in the house, and she says to him again, come to bed with me, and grabs a hold of his coat 
And she's going to drag him in there, right? Some of you husbands are like, honey, anytime you want to do that to me, it's fine with me, right? But see, this was not a good... So she grabs a hold of his coat, and it says Joseph slips out of it and takes off running and leaves the coat in her hand. Well, do you know, you ever heard the, the Shakespearean quote that says, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? I think Shakespeare got that idea by reading this passage of Scripture because it says she is ticked off now because he has rejected her. And so what she does is, is she goes back and she tells her husband, look, this Hebrew slave that you bought, he's been coming in here, he's been trying to rape me, he's been sexually harassing me, and, and he's, you know, I'm sure she didn't use those terms because they didn't have sexually harassment back then or harassment, whatever you want to call it. But she said, he's trying to mess with me, right? And so Potiphar gets ticked off, and look what happens. Genesis 39, 19 and 20. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. I would too if I was him. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So here you go. You've got Joseph. He's already lost one home, right? 17 years old, had it taken away, but he bounces back, gets another house. Things are going fine. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of having this second home where things are going good, once again, unexpectedly and undeservedly, he has that home taken away from him. Two times in his life, where circumstances out of his control. It's not his fault that he's well-built and handsome, you know. If you got it, you got it. He can't help it that these ladies are looking at him, right? And it's not his fault that he decided to, to do what God says and, and reject her. I mean, that's what he was supposed to do. But the result of that is he finds himself now not only a slave, but a slave in prison. Now, there's two things that, that stick out to me in this story that I think that we can learn about our own situations. If you find yourself where stuff has happened to you unexpectedly and undeservedly, well, there's two things that I think we can learn. The first one is this. Although our situation changes, God's faithfulness never changes. Although our situation changes, God's faithfulness never changes. Now, if you're an adult, I don't know how old you were when you first learned that things don't always stay the same. For me, I was eight years old when, when I lost my first grandparent. And, uh, you know, an eight-year-old kid, my grandmother, she had had some bad health, but she wasn't old enough to, to die, you know, that I thought. You know, when I was a kid, I thought she had to be like 100 to die. And, uh, and she wasn't 100. And, and so as an eight-year-old kid, it was the first time that I learned that, you know what, things aren't going to be the same forever. I can remember going to Camden to my grandparents' house the first time when after, after the funeral was over and all that stuff, and she's gone, and I go back, and it's just my granddad living there by himself. And I remember thinking that it was just so weird because, you know, my grandmother had always been there and had food made for us and all that kind of stuff. And we go back, and it's totally different. So I learned at eight years old that things aren't always going to stay the same. And you're going to find out, if you haven't already, and I'm sure most of you have, that our lives can't stay the same. Change is going to occur. Your good health that you've enjoyed one day is going to fail you. This job that you've got that's great, you might lose that one day. This family that everything seems to be going well, one day there's going to be a broken relationship in there perhaps. And so whatever is going on, some, it, nothing lasts forever. And so we will experience change in our life. And some of those changes are not good. And some of those changes are completely unexpected and they're undeserved. It's nothing that we've done to deserve it. And Joseph found that out. 
Now, as I read through there, there was a phrase that jumped out at me from Genesis 39 about, about what God was doing for Joseph during this time. Look at Genesis 39 too. Now, this is after his brothers have beat him up and sold him as a slave. Look what it says. Genesis 39 too. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. His teenage world, 17 years old, his teenage world was shattered. And it says that even as that happened, the Lord was still there. God was still faithful to Joseph, even though that happened. And then look at Genesis 39, 20 and 21. This is after he's been in Egypt and all this stuff. And at the end of verse 20, it says this, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. While Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him. Loses his first home unexpectedly, undeservedly, and what does it say? The Lord was with him. Loses his second home unexpectedly, undeservedly, and the scripture says again, how did this happen? It, it doesn't matter how it happened right now. It says that God was still with him. You see, what happens to us when we experience these things, when, when we lose something unexpectedly and undeservedly, when home is taken away, it's easy to believe that God has forgotten you. It just is. You, you, you look at your life and, and things seem to be going well and all of a sudden this stuff happens and you think, God, if you were paying any attention to me at all, there's no way you could have let this happen. God, if you loved me at all, like the scripture says, there's no way you could have let this person die. There's no way you could have let me get cancer. There's no way you could have let her walk out on me. There's no way you could have let my child get pregnant or, get my, or, or, or my kid get arrested. There's no way you could have let that stuff happen. God, if you'd have paid any attention to me at all. And it's easy to believe that God has forgotten you when those things take place. And, and maybe even worse than that, some of you might not think God's forgotten you. Maybe you're thinking, God, you haven't forgotten me. You're paying attention to me and you're punishing me. And this is some cruel joke you're playing to watch me suffer. And, and that's the way sometimes we can think. And you know what I think is funny about our lives is that a lot of times we think the lifestyle we live, we just we really do think that it's going to last forever. And, 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 we, and we get to the point where we, where we kind of feel like we deserve this lifestyle. We say, okay, God, you know, I'm an American, so I'm supposed to have a house. I've got to have two cars and maybe a play car, you know, like a, a GTO or something in the garage. And I need a boat, God. Got to have a boat and, uh, and uh, probably a vacation house. I got to have it. And we, and we get this, and nothing that's, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But what happens is, is we build it all up and we begin to depend on that and we think we deserve that type of lifestyle. And suddenly when part of that's taken away or all of that's taken away, then we think, God, why are you doing this to me? And, and God will be merciful to us day after day after day. And if he allows one thing to happen to us, then we're like, we forget all those days he was merciful to us. And then we want to be angry at him for the one day that we lost it. But what we've got to remember is, just as it is in Joseph's case, that in the midst of the good times and the bad times, God is still faithful. God was faithful to Joseph in the good and the bad. I love it how people use the term... Um, about God blessing, you know? How things go, man, I got more business than I ever had. God's blessing, man. Man, the kids are doing great, making all these. God is just blessing. God's blessing, man. Now, what do you have? Hey, how are you doing? Man, my son just got arrested, and, and uh, you know, my daughter just got in a bad car accident and is, is paralyzed. God's blessing. Nobody ever says that, right? But see, God still is blessing. 
God's blessing in the good and the bad. We don't like to see it in the bad, but he's still blessing. He remains faithful no matter what happens, even though it becomes easy for us to blame God. And see, Joseph could have done that. Joseph could have blamed God. But what Joseph understood was is that when he was a 17-year-old, spoiled brat kid with a richly ornamented robe, that the Lord is with him. And that when he got beat up by his brothers, the Lord was with him. When he got thrown into an empty well, the Lord was with him. When he got sold as a slave, the Lord was with him. When he shows up in Egypt and and, and gets put in a great job, the Lord was with him. When he loses that great job because he's got this woman sexually harassing him, the Lord was with him. When he finds himself in prison for something that he did not do, the Lord was with him. And then one day when he gets out of prison and becomes the second in command in Egypt, therefore probably the second most powerful man in the whole world at the time the Lord was with him the Lord was with him when he was on top when he was powerful man in Egypt and the Lord was with him when he was in the bottom of an empty well waiting to be killed or sold as a slave and the Lord is with you no matter what's going on in your life if you're riding high right now the Lord's with you and I know you can feel that the Lord's with you but remember when one day when you're down low the Lord's just as with you then as he is today while you're riding high See, God's faithfulness never changed. Joseph's situation changed, but God's faithfulness never changed. And although our situation may change, God's faithfulness never changes. God is ever faithful to us. Now, the second thing that I think we can learn, and we can learn this by the way Joseph reacted, is that for us, how we should react, although our situation changes, our faithfulness should never change. Now, we know God's faithfulness never changes, but our faithfulness should never change as either. See, God's faithful, but are we always faithful? See, a lot of times what happens to us is when we have, when everything's going good and then we have a change in our life, we act like that that's now an excuse that we don't have to obey God anymore. I'll give you an example. I, I won't tell you who this is, but I knew a, a guy one time that um, he was a, uh, he was active member of a church. He was a Sunday school teacher. You know, so this is like beyond just regular, just showing up every now and then. I mean, he was studying the scripture every week to teach other people the scripture. He was, you know, he was a witness at his work, all this kind of stuff. And then his marriage ends. Now, I don't know the details of how the, the marriage ended. I don't know anything about that. But I know one day they're living separately and then they get a divorce. And now after that happens, you know what he does? He, he quits going to church, which sometimes that's not a, that all uncommon. But not only that, he gets an apartment and he, it becomes like swinging bachelor pad, you know. And he's partying and got ladies in and out and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, I thought, well, what happened to the guy who was teaching Sunday school? And he acted as if, now I never talked to him about it, but he acted as if the way he was living was like, hey, when things are good, I'm going to be committed to God. I'm going to teach Sunday school. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to live like I should. But, oh, wait a minute, marriage ended? Well, that gives me an excuse. Now I can do whatever I want, go live. And a lot of times that happens. You've seen people do it. Every, they're walking the path. They're trying to live the way God wants them to. And something happens, and they go off the deep end. We act as if we've got a contract written with God that's got an escape clause at the bottom, you know, that says, okay, God, you're going to remain faithful to me always. And that's written into our contract. I will remain faithful to you, God, as long as I have a house, I've got a wife or a husband, I've got kids that are acting like they should, I've got a job making plenty of money. Now, God, if I lose any of those, I've got a rider on this contract down here at the bottom, it's a little escape clause, that it says, if you take away my house, I can do whatever I want. 
I can reject you. I can live however I want to. Or if my marriage falls apart, then I don't have to live for you at all. And we act like that our faithfulness to God, we've got excuses for not being faithful. But what if God reacted to us that way? What if God said every time, oh, you were following me, but, you know, I don't like what you're doing now, and all of a sudden he's unfaithful to us. But we know what we just talked about is God remains faithful. But look at how Joseph responded. Look at Genesis 39.9. This is when Potiphar's wife is hitting on him. And he says to her, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing? And say these last three words with me. Sin against God. Say it again. Sin against God. You know what Joseph could have said there if he was like the way we live a lot of times? He could have said, you know what? I got a raw deal for my brothers. I'm not even supposed to be in Egypt. So yeah, I'm going to kind of balance things out here. You want me, I want you. You know, you're good looking. I'm obviously really hot because the Bible says I'm well built and handsome and the Bible never lies, right? And so he could have said, let's just go ahead and do this thing because I deserve it. Because, because I've had my home taken away from me, I deserve to have a little fun, right? Or he could have even said, no, I'm not going to do this because I'm afraid I'll get caught. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I probably deserve it, but I don't want to get caught. But what does he say? He says, I'm not going to do this. And hear me, let me tell you why I'm not going to do it. It doesn't have anything to do with where I'm gonna, whether I'm going to get caught or not. I'm not going to do it because it would be a sin against the God that I serve. It would be a sin against the God who has been faithful to me. He's remained faithful to me. He's with me even though I'm in a bad situation. And so why would I then do something that would go against what he has told me that I'm supposed to do? It would be a sin against my God. See, God was faithful to Joseph continually. And Joseph was continually faithful right back to God. And no matter what the change is in our lives... No matter what happens in your situation, our faithfulness to who God is should remain steady. When we're riding high, we should be telling people we're blessed. And when we're down at the bottom, we should be telling people we're blessed. When we're riding high, we should be reading Scripture and trying to live by it. When things, when we lost it all, we should be reading Scripture and trying to live by it. When we're riding high, we should be telling others about the gospel of Jesus. And when we've lost it all, we should be telling others about the gospel of Jesus. Our faithfulness to God should remain steady, no matter what our situation is. And you know what I think is interesting? Is when, when we rebel at the first sign of trouble in our lives, I think it really speaks a lot about how, what our faith was really like to begin with. If, if things go bad and first time something goes bad, we go off the deep end, then I think it says something about whether our faith was real to begin with because anyone can obey when times are easy. Not really, anybody can. When you've got enough money and your relationships are good, man, it's easy to obey God then. But I tell you, when it's hard to obey God is when every month at the end of the month you're running short on cash. And, and, and it's hard to obey God when, when you know that you've got a relationship that's breaking down and you're doing all you can to save it and, you, and it's falling apart right in front of your face. That's when it's difficult. But that's when we have to remain steady. 
Genesis 39.10. I want to read this verse and then we'll close. Genesis 39.10. This was when Potiphar's wife was coming on to Joseph. And it says this. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Those terms there. Day after day. You're not going to face one difficult situation in your life where home is taken away. You're going to face several. Life is going to be filled with, with great times and it's also going to be filled with times that are difficult. And what we've got to remember is, is that it wasn't a one-time thing where Joseph said, hey, I don't want to do this with you and then he was off the hook. He had to once again remain faithful the next day and remain faithful the day after that and remain faithful the day after that and the day after that. It was a daily thing. And our faithfulness to God has got to be a daily thing. I just had students and teachers stand up and reminded them to live for Jesus and it'll be easy for them to remember that tomorrow because I just said that to them today. But a month from now, students and teachers... You still have to be faithful to God in that place. Day after day after day. Even if somebody's not standing up here reminding you of it. And in our lives, if we want to be like Joseph, when our home is taken away, whether it's a literal home or something else that's going on, when it's taken away, God is remaining faithful to us and we've got to remain faithful to Him. So here's my question for you today. Do you have a relationship with God where you really believe that He's faithful to you day after day? Is it, a, is it a close enough relationship where you know, man, when times are tough, times are good, I know He's right there for me. I know He's right there. And if you do have that, then how are you responding to that? Are you remaining faithful to Him when times are easy, when the peer pressure's on, whether at work or at school or wherever, are you remaining faithful to Him? And so what I want us to do is I want everybody, go ahead and stand up. The band's going to come up here in just a minute. So while I'm praying, the band's going to come up. But everybody go ahead and stand up. What I want you to do, go ahead and bow your heads while you're standing there. If you would say to me today, if you would say, Cliff, I don't, I don't really know God. I, I, I come here and I think I've got a relationship with Jesus or God, but I'm not really sure and, and I'm definitely not faithful to Him. If that would be what you would say to me today and, and, then, and you would say that you want to begin that relationship with God, I want you to pray a prayer after me and just mean these words in your heart. If you mean these words, the scripture uh, tells us that if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, that he will. So you just mean these words. If you pray this prayer after me, God will come into your life and he will always be faithful to you and then you can begin the journey of remaining faithful to him. So pray these words after me. Father God, I know that I've let you down, but I believe you're faithful to me every day. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the, from the grave. And I want to follow him, and I want to be faithful to him every day. Please come and live in me and forgive me for the ways that I have hurt you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today and it's the first time you've prayed that or the first time you've prayed it in a minute, I want you to come and, and tell me or tell any of these guys on the stage or tell Donnie or any of our greeters, they're wearing the name tags, tell them what you've done. 
And uh, we want to be sure that, that we know that. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're, you're going through a difficult time right now and you've strayed off a little bit, know that God is waiting for you to come back. He's calling out to you. He's chasing after you, wanting you to come back and get back to where you're supposed to be. And, and I look out in this crowd and I see people who would tell you their story and say, man, I ran from him for a long time, but he was chasing after me the whole time and he brought me back. And he wants to do, he's, he's remaining faithful to you and you can remain faithful to him in your job, in your school, in your neighborhoods.